From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone from Chicago, Illinois and currently residing in Chicago, Illinois. She is the founder and CEO of Buddy. Please welcome Kathleen Brown. So awesome. That intro is good as you've done. And uh, I haven't had a WWE intro in ever. Grew up watching my brothers watching WWE and always wanted an intro like that. So thanks, Rob. <laughs> I like that. You grew up watching your brothers watching it. Yeah. They always would have all their like bros from the neighborhood over to watch all the, the WWE matches. And I remember specifically, I think I actually posted this on your LinkedIn one time. Or actually, I don't know that I got into all the specifics, but I got in a lot of trouble because, you know, it was all these boys over and they were calling the different wrestlers names. And yeah. one of them said the P word. And I was <laughs> young and didn't know what that was. And I asked them and they said, go tell mom. And so I said, Hey mom, Randy Savage is a P word. <laughs> and I got liquid dial in my mouth. I'm like, they put oh, me up to it. No. So yeah, fond memories of WWE. Years ago, I had a guest on the show who told me that when she was a kid, she was like, me and my brother were so into wrestling and it came to Chicago and like, like my brother was so obsessed with the ultimate warrior. And he was like, he couldn't contain his emotions that when we got to the stadium, like he was so filled with excitement that the ultimate warrior is going to come out that he threw up everywhere and we had to go home. <laughs> they missed the show because <laughs> That is amazing. And that's just a memory that sticks with you. Yeah. I'm sure she just like hung that over his head for years. <laughs> we had to miss the whole show because you puked. But I'm All sure right. it, was very so. it was very traumatic for the brother, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyways, Kathleen Brown is with me today. She is the founder and CEO of Buddy. What is Buddy? Well, it's a digital wellness companion for adults living with and recovering from cancer. Buddy curates content, discussions, and events for their community with no BS. And they invite friends and family to invest in the healing process through a socially responsible e-commerce marketplace. Buddy's whole ethos is that when it comes to coping with cancers, we could all use a bud. Now, today on the show, we're talking with Kathleen about how to drive pre-launch interest. Buddy came out this year, but 
this year being 2020, the year where everything goes wrong, uh, things changed. So Kathleen, can you just let our listeners know why is this on your mind? Why is it important to you? Yeah. So I actually, I went through cancer treatment when I was a teenager and I was surrounded by so much love and support. There could not have been, you know, more family and friends that were around that wanted to show, you know, love and support for me and my family. But it was the most isolating and lonely experience of my life. Uh, I felt like no one really understood what I was going through. I didn't really feel like I could express what I was going through. And my world got very, very dark uh, very quickly. And it's taken years of healing from that very traumatic experience, as you can imagine, you know, when your cancer treatment ends, it doesn't mean that your journey is over. And you know, in the years that have followed my treatment, I've spent decades now fundraising for the hospital that saved my life and other cancer orgs. And I've realized I felt so alone, but it's only because people didn't really know how to help me in a way that was both impactful and meaningful. And so within the past couple of years, I started putting the pieces together and thinking, how can we create a platform that allows those friends and family to invest in the healing? Like, you know, so that they can truly on, you know, if they can't understand what that person's going through, they can at least try to understand and help that person feel less alone. So that was the whole genesis of why I created what I did. And I found that shit, there's a ton of people that feel this way. There's a total disconnect between the cancer thriver and their friends and family. And, you know, it, it breaks my heart to know that people feel alone when we really truly know that there's so many people around that want to help. And one of the things that I thought was pretty telling as well as a little bit comical when you and I first talked to each other was you mentioned to me how you were in your hospital bed and you were like up to your ears in fruit baskets. Oh my God. Yeah. Like the number of fruit baskets and fancy nuts and teddy bear, like hot, like maybe not hundreds of teddy bears. So many teddy bears. I received 13 Hootie and the Blowfish CDs. All I wanted was a Dangerous Mind soundtrack, but it had that parental advisory explicit lyrics warning <laughs> attached. <laughs> so I didn't get it from anyone. But yeah, I was getting all these things that like, you know, obviously now as an adult, I have the perspective of knowing those incredible people took the time to go to the store, really think about like what to get me that was going to lift my spirits. And that shit, like I wanted to light it on fire. Like it really, <laughs> it didn't feel helpful to me because I was getting a lot of the same stuff. And I thought I'm angry and I like, and you know, just, I want to be with my friends. I want to feel normal again. And so that is, that's really what's driven me to create something that allows people to feel seen, to know that they're supported, but they feel like, you know, empowered to express themselves and good or bad. Like, don't pretend that everything's fine. If you're really upset, you really want to rage. Like you've got to let that shit out because otherwise you're going to combust at some point and it's not going to be helpful for anyone. So yeah, it's, it's what drives me every day. And it's when I share this kind of stuff, like I can't tell you how many people in the cancer community are like, Oh my God, me too. Like I thought I was the only one. Well, and I think, you know, along those lines, I'm sure you experienced this and I, I think it happens to anyone who is going through some type of challenge, whether it's the loss of someone, grief, even losing a job, right? Some adversity, the default question, which I'm sure you heard a million times is some people will ask, how are you, <laughs> right? Yep. What is it like? Can you talk to us about like, what's it like when you hear that question once? And what's it like when you hear it the 80th time? 
it's such a loaded question. That's what I hear most often from people in our community that like, do you really want to know how I'm doing? Or do you want me to say something that that's helps you you feel better about? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like that's one of the things that we're doing with buddies, like how to not say things that are upsetting. Like people don't know any better. And so what we see right now is people just aren't saying anything because they're tiptoeing around saying the wrong thing. And cancer ghosting is a real term. Like so many people, there's been studies about it. Yeah. Cancer ghosting is like in the dating world, you know, you get ghosted, you know, you go out with someone, you thought it went well, you never hear from them again. They kind of go off the grid. Cancer ghosting is a similar phenomenon where people going through treatment, their friends and family just sort of fade out. They don't hear from them anymore. They post updates and no one's liking them or commenting on them. And it's because people don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to say, how are you? But, but it's better to say something than nothing for sure. Hmm. But, you know, we've built a social tool on our platform that really allows people to just choose from a prompt of something that actually is helpful to say, like, Raj, you know what? You're the best at this. Like, you know what? I just, I, I heard this song. I love this song. It made me think of you and this memory that we had together. Like things that actually will lift their spirits. So yeah, how are you? I mean, a better thing to say is like, how are you today? And mm. actually wait and listen for the response and be okay if that response isn't sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. Well, and I imagine a lot of it comes, like you said, people are just, they're so worried about like the awkward encounter or so worried about saying the wrong thing. Yeah. So in your case, or in the case of Buddy, rather, having a tool certainly helps with all that. Another thing that I think happens a lot is to the point of like the ghosting and everything is I, do you feel like when you were going through your treatment, that became like your defining character trait? Like, like cancer, did, like, was it like, no. not, not necessarily, not anger, sorry, but like <laughs> the fact that you had cancer, was that like your, def, like, people just automatically like defined you by that. And it was like the rest of Kathleen did not exist anymore. Oh, totally. Totally. And I, you know, I grew up, I was another Western suburbs kid, uh, you know, in, I'm from a relatively small town. I was the girl with cancer in our town. Literally when I was going through treatment, this was back in 95. I don't know another child that was going through it. Like my name was in the papers all the, the kids at the elementary schools and high schools were praying for me, writing me cards, sending me fruit baskets and such. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, cancer did define me for many years. And I think cancer still does define me, not necessarily the disease so much as like advocacy work and fundraising that I've done in the space. Yeah. I wish I didn't know so many people that have been touched by cancer because it is a completely devastating and heartbreaking disease. Hmm. But I view it now as with anything, any challenges I've encountered in my life is a silver lining. I have the blessing of knowing these resilient, fucking awesome people that have battled through something and, you know, come out on the other side and have those war wounds to share and to, you know, give that perspective to other people to help them through and to, and to lift them up. So it is a blessing. I will say for many years, I didn't like being known as this girl with cancer. Uh, I felt uh, like that made me, you know, pitied and not like the little spitfire shit that I was growing up. (laughs) But I think what I realized is, and and partly this is me leaving St. Jude, literally the most wonderful organization on earth. It's a children's hospital. So I don't think that I could fully be myself there because I didn't want to share the dark parts of my journey. I didn't want to talk about depression and anxiety and PTSD. Like 
that's not going to help fundraise for adorable sick kids. So I think leaving there, I finally felt like I can reclaim my voice and whether it's talking about the dark parts or, you know, throwing an F-bomb here and there, like that's me. And I don't want to tiptoe around my real cancer journey and what it was really like, because it, to me, like it's not going to help someone else get through it. If they don't feel seen, if I'm only talking about the bright side of cancer and like, yeah, I was really sick. And then I went to St. Jude and everything was great. That is ultimately what happened, but there is so much in between that wasn't being shared. So our topic today is how to drive pre-launch interest. Buddy launched in 2020. It's possible this episode gets released in early 2021. <laughs> uh, so Buddy, Buddy launched in you know Q3 of 2020, particularly with a uh, kind of a marketplace or a consumer-facing platform. One of the biggest things is like, okay, you go live and then what? Which is why a lot of companies in that situation figure out how do we build interest in the first place? So can you talk us through here? Like you were actually probably set to launch earlier in the year. You spent months preparing. Yeah. The march from hell happens, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, COVID happens. The world go, turns inside out. Can you just take us inside the mind of Kathleen and what you were like initially feeling after spending all these months planning and prepping and then march from hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I had been working on the R&D, talking to people to find out what exactly it looked like, you know, starting to fundraise, you know, raised, uh, you know, about half my round. And we started development in August, go to launch the beta site, February 24th. And as you know, the, you know, the, the world kind of fell apart at that point. And initially I will say within those first few weeks was like, oh shit, I don't know how, how we move forward because as you know, in the wellness space, everyone was offering their services and they're not necessarily products, but their services for free online. There were tons of free classes and, you know, people were very shell shocked, particularly in the cancer community with oh my God, what does this mean for us? Our, our immune systems are compromised. We can't leave home. How long is this going to be for? And so I felt like there was never a good time for us to announce we're live. Like it felt very insensitive to do that. And so what I ended up doing, I was in an accelerator program at the time. And I thank God every day for that program, Get Shit Done. And who Alex Batdorf of Get Shit Done is our next guest actually after your oh, episode. Oh my God. <laughs> I guess I'm like her opening act then that uh, uh, she's incredible. And I think having that community of fellow founders, we were able to sort of troubleshoot with each other and like workshop different ideas. And what I did was I started honestly, just pulse checking people in our community, touching base person by person, doing social polls, you know, through newsletters. Hey, what do you need right now? And far and away, you know, people were freaking out. So fear and anxiety were at an all time high, but no one could get masks. And the cancer community, you know, if someone in active treatment has a five times higher risk of the severe effects of COVID. And I thought, okay, I need to find some masks. And so that's what I did. So I I basically, the model of how Buddy works, it's essentially a crowdfunding wellness platform. Friends and family put money in your wellness wallet. You can invest it in things to heal, to feel better. And that's what I did. I kind of put out a message. I reached out to friends, family, investors, my LinkedIn network. And I said, we need to raise some money to get masks. Early stage startup. I didn't have a budget set aside for masks. And also at the beginning, like March, April, masks were actually hard to come by too. They were coming on like a premium. Oh, 
yeah. So that leads to typical in typical startup fashion. I find a vendor. This guy promises me he's going to get me masks in two days. I raised enough money uh, over 10 days. We raised uh, about $5,500. Incredible. This guy tells me, you know, I get the funds. I'll give you the masks in two days. This guy, such a piece of work. Total con hmm. artist. Oh, no. Total con artist. Gave him the money. Screwed us. He had a million excuses of why we didn't get the masks. His story changed every other day. He wouldn't put anything in writing. So it actually ended up taking a couple months to get the masks, which wow. is horrible on one hand. So I learned a lot of things. One, it was an incredible way to drive pre-launch interest because what we launched February 24th, we ended up kind of scrapping that. Like we cannot yeah. activate a marketplace right now. So we kind of put that on pause. And what I realized is full transparency with your audience. I let them know, here's what's going on. I am trying to get the masks. I am calling every vendor and I ended up finding a vendor. It just took a little bit longer, but they were better quality masks. They had filters and we still like, I've now placed a third order for masks. And now I've sort of built it into, I've raised a little bit more money. We're sending masks as a way of like, it's, it's acquiring new users because we're mm -hmm. sending, we're providing value to them, asking literally nothing in return. When we send it, there's a little pamphlet in there that says these masks were purchased because of the generosity of people who care about you and want you to feel a little bit safer, a little bit more love in your heart. Oh, here's a link to Buddy if you want to learn more. That mask campaign has driven not only interest from the individual person that got the mask, have been telling friends and family about Buddy. Like the masks has been the number one driver for, uh, for you know, pre-launch interest. That's interesting. Uh, if I can speak. <laughs> Can you explain, so the people who are getting these masks were not already like on the Buddy platform, right? Like you're, you were doing it to gain subscribers more or less or gain users. Yeah. How did you find these people? Are you just like saying like, hey, any like cancer ward of this hospital, we're just parachuting masks in. How did you figure that part out? No. So actually I did make calls to a couple dozen hospitals in the mainly Chicagoland area, but some uh, like central Southern Illinois most hospitals wouldn't take the masks. They all had to be fully vetted by their supply chain. They needed N95 specifically. There were three hospitals in the Chicagoland area that said that they could do the KN95 masks, but they needed to come straight from the vendor. They, mm. couldn't, they couldn't pass through Buddy, so we couldn't include any info on Buddy. And so there was only one hospital that I set um, advocate uh, uh, out in Oak Lawn because we had someone in the buddy community request them and say, I work in the breast cancer ward. If you send, you know, I, we sent her about 30, 30 masks and she gave them individually to people. This was all like total grassroots, friends and family, our newsletter, LinkedIn network, spreading the word about the masks. So we've really not done any promotion about it. There's just a link in our Instagram bio that has uh, the request form. I get on average, we're almost out of them actually, but on average, we're getting like seven to eight requests a week still, and we're not promoting it. So it's all just people that are telling others about it. Mm -hmm. And the notes we've gotten from people that are like, oh my God, I heard about you from X. Thank you so much for doing this. Can I request another mask for this gal that gets chemo at the same time? Like, it's great. I mean, it's, yeah, it's acquiring customers, if you will, but it's also like the way that it's made them feel about these random acts of kindness that have come literally from well-intentioned people donating money to buy them. It's, uh, I think it's been a much more powerful initiative than I, than I ever realized. What's the mechanism been then to go from mask in hand 
in hospital bed to having an account on buddy.com or, or hi buddy. Yeah. So they get the mask in the mail. It comes with a little brochure in there. We do a handwritten note. If it was requested by like a family or friend, they go to the website, sign up. And right now we've got most people on the wait list. We've only invited about 50 people off the wait list. Cause we're still like squashing bugs every day, every new user, depending on what device they use, we're finding, um, you know, new bugs to, to be fixed. But yeah, so they, most people are on the wait list and then we will invite them off and then they join the community. And right now, so that's one of the things that we spent the summer doing. After we did the mass campaign, I hadn't necessarily budgeted for this development wise, but it was the right thing to do is build the community first. So there's a, it's a free community. So anyone that joins, they're predominantly cancer thrivers. There are some friends and family that kind of just want to get into the mindset of what someone's going through uh, in treatment or recovery. So they join and there's like a full content library. We've got like over 50 pieces in there. We've got some videos and then we host weekly events. So whether you've, you've actually been let off the wait list or not, anyone can attend these like healing workshops that we've been hosting. Very nice. And then later we're going to be releasing the social tool in the marketplace, but we're going to keep doing small beta test users um, to just keep working, working out those bugs. In these, in sort of like this wait list mode where you have people, you know, getting added to the wait list, is there any communication that's happening with them on like launch updates or just, I don't know, even generally like words of wisdom, that kind of stuff? Or are you just oh, like no. wait list? And then when you're off the wait list, you're off the wait list. No. And I very intentional about that because I know our community is feeling incredibly isolated and lonely right now. And so we do different events. Uh, like I mentioned every week we do IG lives and a weekly newsletter. So the weekly newsletter, we always have funny gifs in there, like inspirational quotes. We've been sharing weekly Thriver Thursdays, really just on Thursday, nice. we feature different, different people and not necessarily words of wisdom, but ways that they've kind of gotten through it, different cancer communities that they've met along the way that have supported their journey. Cause buddy is, we're not competitive. We're collaborative. We are working with tons of cancer organizations because we're not trying to be the only solution. We're trying to connect people with different healing resources based on what they need. Yeah. Okay. So the communication really seems like it's a key part of this whole thing, if not like the part of this whole thing. Now, whether it's the IG lives or the Thriver Thursdays or the healing workshops that you're doing, are you within that being like, and the platform is on the way, or are you not even like worrying about what telling them when it's live and just focusing on like the content in the moment? No, in most newsletters, I'll say like, if you're not off the wait list, you know, soon or like, I will tease like what's going on, but I also don't want to like feels kind of weird to be like, all right, you're not in yet. Sorry. You've you got to know someone kind of like clubhouse. I didn't want to be like that where like, mm. you've got to know someone. And like, I don't know, we're not trying to be like exclusive by any means, but at the same time, I've communicated with people that are like, Hey, when can I get in? Listen, like if you want in and you're okay with there being bugs, I'll let you in. That's it. I have been doing that. Like as a case by case basis, there are a number of people that have been following us from the beginning that are in like more rural areas and do not have like a Gilda's club or, you know, like any place for them to go to. They uh, might be getting treatment in like a small hospital where they're not finding anyone their age. Our core users right now typically are between like 30 and 50, I would say predominantly women. It's what I suspected based on types of cancer and 
kind of resources that are out there, there really isn't a lot for young people that feel empowering in the, in the cancer support space. And so, and communicating about the wait list uh, and letting people know like it will be ready as soon as it's gonna be a good experience for you. But certainly when there's people that are a little desperate, I'm, I'm absolutely happy to bring them in the space sooner. So it sounds like trust and transparency and authenticity are pretty key here. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want anyone to feel like, you know, they don't have a space or they don't have people that they can come to. I think in, in every newsletter and all of our social stuff, I'm wanting people to see like, not me as the founder of this company, me as someone that's been in your shoes, hmm. someone that, you know, unfortunately I have a wealth of knowledge in the cancer space. So I mean, we have a very extensive spreadsheet of all the different types of resources. So when people reach out and they're like, Hey, I'm really struggling with X. Do you know anyone that I'm having, you know, some sexual dysfunction or I, and literally we were hearing, I'm hearing very personal things of ways that people are struggling that are asking for support now. And mm. so I'm absolutely happy to be like the ask Jeeves of the cancer world and find out how I can use my knowledge to connect them with something that's going to help them feel a little bit better, even if it's not through Buddy. What I don't want to get overlooked here is that, so trust, transparency, authenticity, supremely important in combination with providing some type of value in the moment leading up to whenever they're going to get moved off this wait list. Because, and I say that because I'll give you a, a similar story. A couple of years ago, I helped fund a Kickstarter and Indiegogo campaign for a, one of those like phone, like smartphone, like holders mm -hmm. where you like, you know, it'll like be like shake resistant and like, you can like move it around, but the phone will kind of like, you know, kind of like revolve with wherever you're holding it. Like a gimbal. Um, yeah. 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 Gimbal. Yeah. One of those. And so I funded it and kind of on the grounds that the campaign was going to end soon and I'd have the product shortly thereafter. And I then went through I want to say a year and a half of monthly updates on how, you know, first it was like, we have some delays, but it's going to be here for you in two months. And then two months goes by more production delays. Right. And so basically something was promised and taken away basically every month or every two months. And sure. They were being honest about it. They were like the manufacturer that we have didn't pull through. So we need to find a new manufacturer or, such an, you know, there's like civil unrest happening in this country, which is causing some delays as well, right? So fine, they're being transparent about it. But they also were setting these like false deadlines along the way, instead of almost just being like, we will get back to you when we know more. It was expect to receive it in X months, and then X months would come by, didn't receive it, and then an update of, of oh, well, this happened now. And this went on for a year and a half until finally, they said, we've run out of money. We're shutting down production. No one's getting a gimbal and we are not able to process refunds to any of you. So I lost like, a, I don't know what it was, like a hundred bucks, I think. So sure, they were transparent and honest the whole way, but they were making promises they couldn't keep. And at the same time, it's not like I was getting any sort of like supplemental thing to engage with along the way, where in your case, it's yeah. not like they're getting the platform to engage with, but you have something for them, right? It's, it's content that you have for them. There, yeah. So there's something to like still interact with, even while there's a waiting period. And like you said, you told them 
You're not promising anything. Hey, but hey, if, if you don't care about bugs, please join the platform. I'll add you. Totally. And actually, yeah, you bring up such a great point. And that's like reminding me of friends of mine that did a Kickstarter and the same thing happened. And I randomly will check their Kickstarter from time to time to see the scathing comments. And people are like, I know them and I know they're the, the best people and they're both super smart and, you know, there were manufacturing updates, but the comments from people that are like, F you, do you only post when you get like a bunch of people complaining? Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that. And so I will say I didn't do a great job in the beginning because I was so freaked out with like, I have no idea. What do I even say? Like, I, I don't know when this pandemic's going to end. I don't know how quickly we're going to be able to get the community built and launch. And so in the beginning on the investor side and with users, I was giving not specific dates, but like, okay, the community should be ready by August. It wasn't. And so then mm. I was like, you know what? I can't say dates anymore because unfortunately the community will be ready when I feel like I feel comfortable with people joining with a limited number of bugs. And so I had only been sending periodic newsletters and I kind of, I balance, and I don't know if other founders with uh, like direct to consumer type companies feel this way, but I didn't want to annoy people and send too many newsletters, mm. but I found that so many people kept saying, I love your newsletters. They make me happy. They, they lift me up. They make me feel less alone. I laugh every time I get one. And so I thought, all right, maybe let's start sending these with a more regular cadence. And now I've gotten into, we've been weekly for at least three months now and hosting those events and thinking, and honestly, I wouldn't have been able to do all that had I not hired someone because I was losing my mind working just crazy hours. And I felt like advanced, the development wasn't advancing as quickly marketing or like connection with our user base or, you know, um, our community wasn't as regular as I had hoped because I was trying to do too many things. My sister ended up uh, getting laid off uh, from, from WeWork in the spring and she became a free agent. And I thought, hey, can you just help me with some stuff? And so she just started helping with some projects here and there and found that she really liked it and she was really good and we have the best working relationship. And so when she, uh, her severance was up, it was like, can we bring you on full-time? So she's mm -hmm. our only full-time on the payroll uh, employee but we've been able to accelerate so much more progress. So it worked out in that case, but it wasn't easy to figure out the right cadence of communication. Sure. But I think it does, I think, continue to highlight the point that it is about having a communication strategy, right? Yeah. For me, the key takeaway there. And when companies are ramping up towards their launch, I think what they're so wrapped up in, in the product development and making sure the product is good that they forget that there needs to be a personality behind the product for people to care. Yep. It cannot just be like, what I'm gathering from what you've told me with why people like the emails, you know, they want it more of them. They like seeing it in their inbox every week is because there's something that they see within that, that resonates with them. These are not transactional emails you're sending. No. They are value add emails. They are community creating emails, right? Yeah, the most surprising thing has been one that people like getting my emails because like I don't think I've <laughs> now I've started to do it with other founders where I'll be like, dude, that was a good one. Or like, you know, I just LOL, thanks for sending that. Like, but <laughs> I didn't regularly respond with people creating newsletters before, even if they're people that I knew. I kind of just thought like it's a computer screen. Like, no one's gonna actually like be on the receiving end of this. Uh, so that's been surprising that people are actually reading and laughing and liking uh, our newsletters. But the number of cancer organizations that have come to me, we have not had to go proactively to any cancer orgs to say, 
can you partner with us? They've come to us and they've told other cancer orgs about us to say, oh my God, no one's doing anything like what you're doing. Or the approach that you're taking is something we wish we could do. Because we're a peer-built organization. We're not a hospital. We don't have a clinical voice. We're not, yeah, we've got some data in, in our con, but we're always including jiffies and abreaves. And like, we're, we're trying to like talk to people as if like, yeah, you're my, you're my bud with cancer, but like, you're still you. I'm still going to talk to you like you're a human and not treat you with kid gloves. So that's been the most surprising thing that cancer orgs have come to us saying, we love what you're doing. How can we work together? That's great. What is your, uh, so like masks is very much like a in the moment strategy. Have you thought ahead to how will you get people quote unquote? It's weird to say it in this way. It's like the marketing way to say it. And I say weird because you're dealing with cancer patients here, but like, what's your, have you thought through your long-term strategy of how you get people in the funnel? And on the platform beyond like the mask strategy? Yeah, absolutely. We've got our full go-to-market strategy for each phase of our launch. Like when the social tool launches, we have a a bit of a different strategy. When the marketplace launches, we have a bit of a different strategy. But I've got the go-to-market planned through next year, which is our pre-seed, like using the initial funds. Once we have revenue coming in and we have either more, more revenue from the platform or from capital, like from investors, there's going to be a different go-to-market strategy because we'll be able to actually invest money in marketing. Right now, everything's built super bare bones, not spending money on marketing, utilizing the relationships we have within the cancer organizations, within advocates, if you will, at different hospitals and in oncology wards. And within, it sounds so weird to say, but I tell you they do exist, cancer influencers. And that's been happening very <laughs> organically though thus far. So, so many people of extreme influence in the social world that have cancer or are cancer survivors have gotten to know us through our mass campaign and through social media. There's um, two people in particular that have found us that have told two people have told over 200 people about buddy. We've tracked from people wow. signing up because they've been posting about masks and they've, they've been saying how much they love buddy. So we will start working with more cancer influencers to potentially do content series that's all about, you know, the ways that they've healed, the ways that they've found community, um, you know, in treatment and recovery. So that's our initial strategy is all super bare bones, not spending money on marketing. The only marketing dollars we're spending are some events we've been hosting have been working with wellness practitioners that have donated their time and services. We do offer to pay all of them and or make a donation to the charity of their choice. And that's really where our marketing dollars are going right now, Mm. Um, which is really bare bones. So, well, I think we'll continue to lean into cancer orgs, cancer influencers, and then wellness practitioners to be spreading the word about Buddy. But so far, we haven't done any type of like big launch PR blitz or even ask people in our community, hey, can you tell everyone about Buddy? (laughs) Because it's not fully live and it feels like a shitty thing to do to like have everyone say like, check out this platform. And then people join and they're like, I got a wait list email. What the hell? It's the equivalent of when you say, oh, you should meet so-and-so. And and then like you email, introduce them. And then that person never follows up. Uh, Totally. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. That it stings. It's like uh, being set up by a friend and they're like, hey, do you want to introduce this guy? He's the best. He's awesome. You're going to love him. By the way, he's married. 
(laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. That's never happened, but, uh, but yeah, we want to wait until we're ready to make a big announcement that we're live and, um, you know, ensure that it's a great experience. So if people find out about us naturally right now, you know, they'll be entered into the fold. They can follow newsletter, social media, and then Hmm. obviously attend any of our events. One more before we begin our wrap up. Ideally, we won't have to live through another pandemic. And ideally, we get out of this current pandemic. But knowing the pivot you made, the mass strategy, how it worked, um, and how it continues to work, what has this moment taught you? And what lessons do you feel could be applied forward, if any? What lessons could be applied moving forward, even if we're not in a pandemic? Well, I think if anything, the pandemic has showed all of us the preciousness of life and how it can be taken away from us at any time. Unfortunately, this is something the cancer community has always known. Like if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And so I hope that people have woken up to the reality of the situation that we're in and realizing how incredibly important not only our health is, but the relationships that restore our soul. So I hope that that's something that everyone can take away and that we're able to, one of the things that we're, we're doing with Buddy and not only for the cancer community, but for friends and family is to teach people tools of knowing like how to recenter yourself, how to focus on what makes you happy and what brings you joy and what makes you feel good. Because that's something that we're all going to need when things go back to normal, whatever that is. It's easy to get caught up in the distractions and the busyness of life. But our name, Buddy, Budhi, the meaning behind it to be awake, to understand, to know how can our platform and this whole idea help people recognize what they want in life, what, what is important to them. Because I look back at my life and all the shit that I wasted time and money on and the people that just sucked my energy, that, that wasn't the, that's not a healthy way to live. And I know for me, you know, not only did I have cancer as a teenager, I've had several cancer scares as an adult and I have long-term health side effects. And I truly know that every day is a gift. And the reason I am still on earth, I believe, is to pay it forward and to help people feel better in some way. And um, the real reason I started Buddy is I, I thought I had cancer last January and I was waiting on results from two different types of cancers they were uh, testing me for. I was waiting on biopsy results. And when the results came back, not cancer, it's like, fuck it, I'm going all in. I'm building the platform I've always wanted and I'm gonna just start by telling people about it I started telling people within the WeWork community, I've got this idea. How do I do it? So I was going to apply for their creator awards and build a business plan. That was my end goal. Let me just see if I can get some funding. And it turned into me quitting my job within three months and going all in on it. So yeah, I hope the pandemic can just be a wake up call for, for everyone to just reconnect with people that bring you joy and things that make you happy and recognize that wellness is a gift. If it hasn't woken people up to anything, then I think people are doing the pandemic wrong. (laughs) Um, Where can our listeners find you and learn more about the platform? Yeah, so they can go to highbuddy.com. It's H-I-B-U-D-D-H-I.com. Our social across uh, every platform is at highbuddy, H-I-B-U-D-D-H-I. And uh, I'm on Instagram as Ms. Kathleen Brown 
anyone can reach out at any time, whether you're going through cancer treatment, you've got a loved one, I'm always happy to connect you with people or resources to feel a little bit better. Who is someone that you want to shout out? That could be a mentor, a friend, a team member, an advisor. So um, I know you've got her coming up on the podcast next, but Alex Batdorf from Get Shit Done. I mean, she is one of my favorite people in the world. Um, So yeah, Alex has just been not only so supportive of me and my business, but to so many founders, whether they've gone through her accelerator or not, she's just a badass person that I think everyone should follow and get to know, like, Talk about a newsletter that provides value. Every <laughs> single newsletter, every single podcast, I'm taking notes and like clicking all of her links because she doesn't bullshit. Uh, so yeah, Alex Bator is one. Um, Michelle Hayward, absolutely incredible leader in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. Mm-hmm. Michelle and I uh, had gotten to know each other when I first started building Buddy. I did uh, Entrepreneur had a program, or they still do, called Insider for building businesses. Michelle and I were the nerds that like took every single workshop because it was free and they were awesome. And Michelle uh, also was part of Get Shit Done. And I, every time I talk to her and connect to her, her and I joke, we've never met in person, but we've had over 50 phone calls (laughs) in Zoom (laughs) meetings. Uh, I learned something new. She's just a master of everything. So yeah, Michelle, Michelle and Alex Fatdorf. I don't know Michelle personally, but uh, I've known Alex for a couple of years now and Startup Hype Man is big fans of Alex Batdorf and Get Shit Done. There is Batman, there's Batwoman, and then there's Batdorf. <laughs> I love that. She's, <laughs> she's the realist. Just, when Honestly, she reached out to me uh, last year. Or, God, 2020 has been 15 years. She reached out to me in the spring. And at that point, I was like, at my wit's end, I've got way too much on my plate. And she had talked to me about the accelerator. And I was like, what is this shit? I don't really know. I'll just take a 15 minute meeting. And I mean, she sold me within the first five minutes. Right. <laughs> I, I'm applying. I need to be part of whatever you're doing. So check her out. To, to wrap up, we'll do our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on our discussion today. I'll go first and I'll toss it to you. Again, our topic was how to drive uh, pre-launch interest. Uh, my biggest takeaways out of this are that a pre-launch strategy is really a communication strategy. And you have to have, you have to be, honest and transparent while also providing value. If you have one without the other, you could probably fall, fall forward on your face. Kathleen, top one or two takeaways for the listeners. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. It's uh, the building trust through authenticity and transparency and just being, being real. And I think the more that people can share uh, what they're all about, their, their real feelings, you'll find that people, that's what resonates with people. Like, no one wants this like, you know, uh, glossy facade. We want to know like what really makes you tick and that's how we connect with one another. So I'd say for anyone, whether you're building a business or, you know, you're uh, on social media, which is most of us these days, don't post fluffy shit. Just like post like, you know, stuff that, that uh, you really care about and you'll find your audience. Final question, which is how we end every episode on the show. Fill in the blank, Kathleen entrepreneurship is blank. Gosh, uh, entrepreneurship is a roller coaster of a, a super fun and fulfilling roller coaster, a super fun and fulfilling roller coaster. She is Kathleen Brown, founder and CEO of buddy. You can learn more at HiBuddy.com. This was Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Thank you for joining today, Kathleen. And while we say hi, buddy, we say bye to Kathleen. (laughs) Thanks, Raj. That 
wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guests for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.